Hello again, witches, seekers, and friends, and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where we do a little ranting, raving, and wand waving. I'm your host, Paige Vanderbeck, and together we're going to explore magic and spirituality, social justice, the psychic realm, and truly modern witchcraft. I, I have been very frustrated this Mercury retrograde. It's really, um, it's really given me a little bit of a beat up. <laughs> so, awesome. So, like I said, what we're talking about today is Sailor Moon. Um, Sailor Moon is a show that I loved as a little kid. It was, it was really my favorite. She was my favorite superhero for sure. And I loved a lot of things about it. But of course, what I love most about it, it, it was very magical. It was, you know, an all-girl gang of superheroes that are using magic and crystals and, you know, astronomy and astrology and all that kind of stuff to battle the powers of evil. So that has always been, you know, my entire bag. I'm totally into all of it. When it comes to witchy media, Sailor Moon is not always counted as, you know, a, a popular influence or a bit of witchy media because Sailor Moon wasn't technically a witch. Um, in Japanese, uh, you know, manga and, and TV and stories, this genre of, of character and of story is called magical girls. It's the magical girl genre. So these shows, and especially this one in particular, featured teenage girls with magical powers. And they were in charge. You know, there was no male authority for them to answer to. Um, Men were usually not more power th more powerful than way they were, and in Sailor Moon, there's a particularly hilarious example that I will, of course, mention later. So, in this story, in particular, the magical girls are you know it's very space themed. They all have planetary powers. They're all associated with a with a certain planet, um, and in addition to all the the planetary magic and the crystals, you have this really really interesting deeper story about girls, about young girls, about teenage girls, and about them finding their power and exercising that power and, um, you know, not having to give up who they are to be a powerful person, to be a superhero. None of them have to be more masculine if, if they don't want to, but they also absolutely can. It's this wonderful, there's this storyline about the, the sexuality and the, the gender fluidity um, of young girls. You know, it's it's all of the things like that. Um, so Sailor Moon was a was a real inspiration for me. I was actually teased kind of mercilessly in elementary school uh, for being a Sailor Moon fan longer than you know my peers decided was cool. So I remained a big Sailor Moon fan <laughs> even after I stopped talking about it. But I was bullied kind of mercilessly because it was it was seen as for children. I discovered Sailor Moon uh, about like maybe a year before <laughs> I decided that I wanted to be a witch. So this really happened at the same time in my life. They're they're connected to me and they always have been. It's not necessarily like a pulp culture pantheon or anything like that. There's just there were a lot of magical elements in the show that have found their way into my practice or that inspired me to look up certain topics. You know, my interest in astrology definitely really started when I was watching Sailor Moon and you had these Sailor Scouts, which are her whole, you know, gang. There's one for every planet in the solar system, including Pluto. 
because just like astrologers and Sailor Moon, Pluto is still a planet. Uh, <laughs> still a planet. We have not given up on it. So there's one for every every planet in the solar system. They all have special planetary glyphs. They use uh, powers and, and attacks and things that are based on the properties of their planet. They also had kitty cat sidekicks. I mean, as soon as you've got a black witch with a moon on its forehead, or a black cat with a moon on its forehead, we're straight up in witch territory. I don't care what, com what country it comes from. I can see witchcraft anywhere, even if they're not using the word. Uh, they also used elemental magic. Super fun. Um, really, really great. So basically, it, it fit all the criteria of witchiness to me, but it also encouraged me to look into astrology, to look into the elements, to be an empowered person who was not so ashamed of being a very sensitive and even kind of romantic person, although I was pretty embarrassed about the romantic stuff for a while. <laughs> uh, not anymore. Sailor Moon was, um, it was just such a, such a huge influence on me. So I have talked about Sailor Moon before and magic of Sailor Moon. There is a YouTube video. You can find it on my YouTube channel, which I don't use all the time. I don't make YouTube videos, but I uploaded videos from my little live Facebook series that I was doing for a while called Seeker's Corner. And I did an episode about magical girls and about, um, the whole genre and Sailor Moon in particular and some of the kind of magical, real magical elements you see in it. Let me just check out this chat bar. Okay, cool. Um, so I did talk about that before and you can find all of that on my YouTube channel. I will be posting links on my website for any of the content that I find today, the sources for it. Um, as well as, you know, the links to that YouTube video and everything else. So if you've, if you've thought, <laughs> why haven't you talked about this before? I have. Um, I have also started creating a podcast episode. You know, I had been working on it. And a couple of weeks ago, my cat just randomly, randomly got ill. She all of a sudden wasn't eating. She was really sick. And it turns out that she needed emergency surgery. <laughs> Oh man, um, I hate to say it, but I was not financially prepared for such a thing. And the expense was so huge that I, I just absolutely wouldn't have been able to pay it. So I started to GoFundMe and I, I started asking for donations. And um, I'm really happy to say that my cat, Allie, is perfectly fine. She's recovering from her surgery. Uh, we had a little hiccup with the incision, but she's okay now. And I am so, so grateful to anyone who donated and, and shared the post and everything like that. I couldn't imagine life without my little kitty cat. So I had had this, this idea planned for a little while and suddenly I needed a way to raise some money. I love, you know, that everyone was willing to give me donations, but I'm the kind of person that likes to, to give back in that situation. So I thought doing a live episode of the podcast here with all of you where you can see my embarrassing faces and step in person. Uh, I thought this would be of, of interest to some of you, so I really hope it is. First, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the show. Not everyone is familiar with the storyline of Sailor Moon. You might be familiar with the images, with the, you know, the things you see on Facebook. There's lots of really great Sailor Moon memes because, I mean, facial expressions for that show were awesome. <laughs> they were the best. Um, so you might have seen some Sailor Moon, but you, you haven't actually watched it or, or read the manga or anything like that. 
So I'm going to give you the story. Now settle in because I am about to blow your minds with this <laughs> wild story. And it's the story of Sailor Moon in the Moon Kingdom of the Silver Millennium. So the story as we're reading it begins in the 20th century. Uh, a middle school student named Usagi Tsukino is running late for school one day and she rescues a black cat that has a gold crescent moon uh, on its forehead. It's being hassled by a bunch of kids and she scares them off and saves the cat. And then, you know, takes off going to school. She's late. The cat follows her and checks her out. And then eventually she corners her. And she tell the cat tells Usagi that her name is Aluna and that she was sent to earth by Serenity, the queen of the moon kingdom to find her daughter, the moon princess and the sailor guardians so they can protect earth from the ancient evil that destroyed the moon kingdom in the first place. Which is wild because Usagi is not a superhero type as far as, you know, you can tell. She is silly. She's lazy. She's really carefree. Um, she struggles a lot with, with all the responsibility. She is called a crybaby all the time. Although, interestingly, her tears end up having magical powers. So, joke's on you guys. <laughs> um, so, she struggles with it at first. Um, but... As time goes on, you realize why she is so important. And it's because the one thing that Usagi takes seriously is friendship and empathy and helping other people. Like that is that is her life. Love and friendship and empathy are everything to this girl, which of course makes her the perfect leader, no matter how big of a crybaby she is. She eventually trusts Luna. And Luna gives her a magical brooch to transform into Sailor Moon, and she defeats the evil monster with a moon tiara that, you know, has a little crystal in it. It's very wonderful and exciting. Um, I actually have a little version of the brooch here. Here you go. You might notice that it's totally a pentagram <laughs> with the, you know, the four colors of, um, the four colors of, of, the Western elements and a nice big moon right in the middle. Not lost on me, friends. <laughs> you can see why this symbol, um, you know, might appeal to someone who is interested in witchcraft. Super awesome, right? You're with me so far. Over the course of that first season of the show or the first few manga there, Usagi and Luna track down the other four main sailor guardians. Um, so we have Ami, who is Sailor Mercury. Ray, who is Sailor Mars, Makoto, who is Sailor Jupiter, and Minako, who is Sailor Venus. And Venus has her own kitty cat guardian, and he's a white cat with a moon, and his name is Artemis. So again, we have this, this really cool moon connection. Um, they also have this mysterious male helper called Tuxedo Mask, who is a really hot but rude high schooler from their time <laughs> named Mamoru. And, um, he doesn't do very much, you know, he, he wears this beautiful, you know, romantic tuxedo with a big ass cape and he throws roses to kind of uh, stop criminals in their tracks so that Usagi and the Sailor Scouts can deal with them properly. You know, he, it's almost like a joke. He seems like a joke all the way through, <laughs> which um, is my favorite thing about him. I, I, would, I could confidently say my favorite thing about a tuxedo mask is that he's kind of a joke and that in the end, the girls are the ones who save the day every time. 
So here in the 20th century, the Earth is currently under siege by an evil queen called Queen Beryl in the Dark Kingdom. They're looking for a silver crystal, which Queen Serenity, uh, back on the Moon Kingdom, had used to defeat them in the past. It's up to the scouts to find the crystal, track down and find the princess, and defeat the Dark Kingdom, which sounds totally simple, right? Totally straightforward. But, you know, just to throw a wrench in it, this is not the origin of any of these sailor scouts. Their story actually begins thousands of years earlier, on the moon, literally. The girls that we get to know as the sailor scouts are actually reincarnated versions of princesses of different planetary kingdoms. Um, you know, spoiler alert, Sailor Moon is the moon princess. I bet it was easy to figure it out because everyone figured it out before it happened. <laughs> so I hope I'm not ruining anything for you. Um, Queen Serenity, who was her mother, ruled over the first Silver Millennium Era, which was this beautiful era where she ruled from this shining palace on the moon. The ancient civilizations of Earth, and this is where it gets really neat to those of you who know anything about Greco-Roman mythology, uh, the ancient civilizations of Earth knew Queen Serenity as Selene, the moon goddess. When the Dark Kingdom attacks Silver Millennium, she uses the awesome power of the legendary Silver Crystal to trap the queen of the kingdom, which is Mataria in space, and reincarnate the kids and their little guardian cats, um, including the Earth Prince, who was the love of the princess. Uh, his name was Endymion. And again, you might recognize that um, Greco-Roman mythology, Selene, the moon goddess, fell in love with Endymion on Earth. So there really is this, um, this kind of throwback, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Greco-Roman mythology bit to it, which is neat. Uh, so she sends them back to Earth in case the Dark Kingdom ever refuses. And so the fact that they've been reborn means that, or resurfaces, the, the, the fact that they've been born on Earth means that the Dark Kingdom has resurfaced now. Queen Serenity also records a message within a crystal, which can be read via a computer in the 20th century. Very interesting since quartz really is used in our computers. And not only does this help remember the girls or help the girls remember their past lives um, and summon their power, it gives them instructions. Uh, it also allows, you know, Luna and Artemis to kind of get some information about the, the mission because being reincarnated, you don't usually remember where you came from. Luna and Artemis are special in that respect. So those are the cliff notes. That's the cliff notes of the show. Um, already you can see this wealth of really interesting mythology and magical concepts right from the, the beginning. There's this combination of magic and sci-fi, which is so dope. That's my, that's my genre. Um, totally my bag. I was not a huge anime fan. Uh, I mostly liked Sailor Moon. <laughs> the other, the only anime I watched besides Sailor Moon was was Card Captor Sakura, which had a, a, you know, it had a very tarot card theme to it. Uh, and then another show called Visions of Escaflone, which was, uh, gosh, it's just really hard to describe. It was very weird. <laughs> it was super weird. Like it was like magic, time travel, and then gigantic like Gundam style space robots as well as like crystal pendulums and, and psychic stuff and, and traveling between dimensions. It was really, really weird. 
I don't think anyone thinks it was great except me. <laughs> um, I also liked, you know, Studio Ghibli films. Uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, which is about a little witch and her black cat, is obviously my favorite. Another one that's really great is The Cat Returns. Again, you've got a magical cat prince in that story, so that's uh, it's right up my alley, right? It all makes sense. If I had to compare Sailor Moon to a modern show that people are into, I would say it's a lot like Steven Universe, which I'm going to say right away I have not watched. Um, but, you know, you've got these action-packed, fantastical, magical elements, but there is a very serious emotional and friendship um, undercurrent to the story. Their feelings about other people and about themselves and love are all big, big themes in all of these all of these um, anime that I was very interested in. So those are the cliff notes. That's what you need to know about, about Sailor Moon, pretty much. Um, now, all of that is beautiful. It's very witchy. It's very magical. But one thing that's, that always really stood out for me about these, you know, quote-unquote strong female characters is that they were still really normal teenage girls who liked teenage girl stuff. You know, they, they liked comic books and video games and, you know, eating sweets, stuff in their face. They, um, they liked clothes. They liked boys. They liked going to dances. They like, <laughs> you know, they're very, they're still very clearly teenage girls that are, that are pretty normal. Um, they're a lot like, you know, Japanese girls were at the time in the 90s there. So the story constantly showed that you can be this total flake with bad grades, which a lot of teenage girls are, uh, and still save the world. You still have this power. You know, it's okay to be a silly little girl, which society often kind of tries to encourage everyone to avoid, even little girls themselves, <laughs> until it becomes a real gender thing, and then they're really all about it. It's a very strange dynamic. It's also one that you don't see much in this show. Now, a lot of these characters are feminine in nature. Not all of them, um, but a lot of them are. And at the time, a lot of the female superheroes I saw, there was, there was this thing about them not being very feminine or coming from a, a background where there's no men. You know, like Wonder Woman was an Amazon where there's no men. She was a, you know, a big bad warrior stuff. Um, and a lot of female superheroes were like that. You know, a lot of them were presented in a way that a lot of people would consider masculine. They, they maybe had a masculine voice or a masculine personality or a masculine style of dress. And while there's obviously nothing wrong with that, and we have characters in Sailor Moon later that do play with, with gender and sexuality and fluidity there, um, I liked the idea that you could be a silly teenage girl and still be really powerful and smart and save the world. I was a silly teenage girl for a long time. I, I like, I love feminine clothes now. I'm a, I'm a very, you know, feminine presenting cis woman. Um, and when I was younger, I, uh, when I was a teenager and stuff, I, I wasn't. I didn't want to appear weak. I didn't want to, um, invite any sort of sexual comments about myself. I wore men's clothes. Add in the fact that I was fat and women's clothes for fat people are so hit and miss and were really bad in the 90s. I just presented in a very, you know, masculine way. And I, I hung up with men. I liked music by men. I, I did all of this stuff because I thought it made me stronger. 
and at the same time, you know, I was like, I'm a big feminist. Those two things don't always, they don't always combine. And as I got older, you know, that, that fear that I had had as a young person started to go away. And when I started to, or when I stopped thinking through that, perceiving the world through that lens, I just became a very feminine person. Um, like, I, I still love pink. There's so much pink in my house, it's unreal there's so much pink. It's not even my favorite color. I just, I feel empowered embracing these very, the, these very obvious feminine themes because I should have been the whole time. You know, <laughs> that should have been something I was allowed to be happy and comfortable with. This is Alley Cat. So anyone who donated money or who uh, bought a donation ticket for this event today, this is Alley Cat. This is the one that you helped. She is such a little sweetheart. She is still healing up, but she's doing really well. She is also just such an attention whore. She really, <laughs> whenever I'm on um, the phone or, or live like this, she comes running in meow, 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 and um, tries to just get into it. So I'm going to leave her here for a minute. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the story, it just constantly showed you that there was nothing weak or, or bad about however you expressed your femininity because the girls were all very different. You know, Usagi was very emotional. She was, she was a bit of a crybaby, as they used to say. Um, Makoto Sailor Jupiter, she was a big badass girl. She was taller than everyone. She was bigger than everyone. She was stronger than everyone. And she seemed very intimidating but in her personal life, she dreamed of being a homemaker. Her, she loved everything domestic. She loved cooking. She loved cleaning. She wore aprons all the time. Um, and she liked boys. You know, she wanted to get married and be a, a homemaker and a housewife. You didn't have to give that stuff up to be a superhero in Sailor Moon, which was really amazing. So that was a, that was a very huge... Um, lesson that I eventually got from the show. Of course, uh, when I was in my 20s, I um, got more interested. I, I kind of went back to Sailor Moon a bit and um, just kind of um, reevaluated and, and looked at what it was that I found so inspiring about it and ways that it had maybe um, affected, you know, how I, how I grew up, how I thought, how I was. Like Usagi, I'm an extremely emotionally sensitive person. I cry a lot. Like, I don't think movies with dogs where the dog dies at the end should even be allowed to be made, let alone made into commercials that are going to make me bawl my eyes out. That's some bullshit. That, sh <laughs> that shouldn't happen. But I'm a very emotionally sensitive person. I'm an extremely, you know, empathetic person. I really try to see the world from other people's points of view. I, I like to examine different points of view. I think everyone deserves, you know, help, deserves a second chance, deserves to have a, a good and happy life, even if they're villains, even if they're evil villains. So, you know, looking back, I did really take something from Sailor Moon, not just about witchcraft, but kind of my overall view of the, of the world. So I mentioned that femininity 
um, and, and not being embarrassed by it is a strong undercurrent of the whole story. But I don't want you to think that femininity means it's just cisgender human, uh, femininity or even heterosexual femininity, because it's not. Um, as the series goes on, we actually meet more Sailor Scouts, you know, from the other planets like Saturn, um, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And we see even more differences there in how they present their gender and their sexuality and everything. Neptune and, and Uranus are both women and they're girlfriends. They are in love. They're partners in life. But Uranus, her presentation is very masculine. She's, she's often um, mistaken for a man, which she doesn't mind at all. She says, either one is fine. They, they both work for me. But she wears more masculine styles. She likes things like cars and motorcycles and sports. And then her girlfriend, Neptune, is this, oh my God. She's like, <laughs> she's like one of those like images of the ideal woman that people who are shitty and people who are cool both love. She's elegant. She's off, she's really feminine, right? She's got this beautiful wavy teal hair that looks like the ocean. It's like the Caribbean Sea. She... <laughs> She plays the violin, she swings, she swims, and every time you see her, she's like, she's like sparkling, she's like glittering, she's just this beautiful, sparkly, elegant woman, and they're totally in love. She loves Uranus, she loves everything about her, and she gets a real kick out of her thinking that she's um, a man, and not just a man, but Sailor Uranus is a super hot dude when people meet her for the first time. So, you know, that's funny. You know, it doesn't matter if you think it's a man or a woman. You think she's really hot. So that's a cool compliment. Well, this is all very 90s and, you know, we might approach uh, gender differently now. And in truth, I haven't watched the newest series, The Sailor Moon Crystal. I haven't watched it. So they may have even made that a little bit more. They may have updated it a little bit to be more with our times. But all right, right away, you have women in a relationship, which was actually much more common in Japanese media than it was here in North America at the time. When you watched the show here in North America, in Canada, or in the US, uh, when it was first running, there was lots of censor censorship. They cut out a lot of scenes, and they tried to pass off the story that Neptune and Uranus were cousins, and that's why they were holding hands and always together. It didn't fool anybody, and it and it honestly just made it feel kind of creepy because they were very clearly in love. <laughs> they weren't cousins. If they were, this would be incestuous, and I don't think that's what they were going for. <laughs> um, and then Usagi, she's so interesting. A lot of people think she might be bisexual, which is possible. She she does have a love who is a man, but I mean that's like a. That's an ancient star-crossed type love situation, but she constantly flirts with characters that dress in an in a, uh, in an androgynous way, you know, girl characters. She expresses a lot of admiration for women. She expresses uh, a lot of attraction to their beauty. You know, she she presents sexuality and attraction in a way that's a little less creepy and based solely on wanting to have sex with somebody you know when usagi sees these these really beautiful elegant grown-up women she sees 
my, I'm sorry, my beau is driving me absolutely crazy. She sees just a, a version of womanhood that might be a little different from hers and that she thinks is beautiful and interesting. Every version of womanhood seems to be beautiful and interesting to Usagi. She's constantly talking about how beautiful other girls are and she's, you know, she's speechless when she sees Rey, who is Sailor Mars, when she sees her for the first time because Rey is just this incredibly beautiful priestess, actually. So it's really neat that it's it's obviously possible that, that Usagi Sailor Moon could fall in love with a woman. Um, and also, I think that is a way that a lot of... Um, I think that's a common way for women, a heterosexual or otherwise, to, ex to experience um, sexuality and attraction. I have found myself thinking, wow, I'm really attracted to this woman. Does it mean I want to have sex with her? No, it does not. That's not what I'm interested in. But she has a very attractive beauty. And it's usually something that I want to exemplify on my own. It's something that I, I want to be. Um, it's the kind of you know, beauty or sexuality that I want to exude, um, which would be in alignment with my own uh, attraction and sexuality. That's a very common way for, you know, all of us to experience attraction, even men. You know, I have met so many heterosexual cisgendered men who are absolutely attracted to Ryan Reynolds, even before Deadpool. They fucking love him. There is something weird about Ryan Reynolds that just just men love and they, they just want to be that guy and they think they want to have sex with that guy because unfortunately um, that is the way sexuality works here in North America. But... Uh, that's what it is. You know, they see something that is very sexually appealing that really um, fits into their own views of sexuality and attraction. And so they're attracted to it. Very normal way to experience sexuality and attraction, for sure. And I think that's great. I, I don't think we talk about that nearly enough. That is something that I have always struggled to explain. You know, a lot of people have thought I was bisexual in my life and I never have been. I have been boy crazy since I was two years old and Doogie Howser was on TV. <laughs> he was the love of my life. I used to like kiss the screen. I love really smart guys. <laughs> so I've always been very boy crazy. I've never wanted to date a girl or anything like that. Um, but I have always felt this, this attraction to, you know, particular women at different times in my life. And uh, I could never explain what that was. I couldn't figure out what it was. And that's exactly what it was. It's a very interesting thing. So what we have is this very realistic portrait of uh, feminine sexuality from a few different angles. All of the scouts have a different relationship to their femininity or their gender or their sexuality that I find very interesting. Whenever Usagi encounters a new scout, you hear these inner monologues and see things for a moment from Usagi's perspective. You know, what is she seeing right now? And she's always seeing these girls, these women, even like supervillain women, in this most beautiful and empathetic and compassionate light. She sees the goodness in absolutely everybody, which is a very beautiful quality, right? When she meets the Sailor Scout, she has these moments, you know, with Ami, who is Sailor Mercury, Ami is very focused on school, not boys. She loves science. She loves um, technology. And Usagi is constantly in awe of this because that's, that's so different from how she is. 
Um, she's incredibly smart. She's a little bit quiet, but she's just a really good friend and a, a funny and a, a beautiful person. And Usagi constantly tells her how great that is. Ray Sailor Mars is, um, she's a bitch, man. She's a total bitch in the best and worst meaning of the word. Uh, she's beautiful and she's very intense. She lives, she's a shrine maiden, a Shinto shrine. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Um, and she lives with her grandfather. She's not really exposed to other girls much and she doesn't spend a lot of time with them. But she's also a little uncomfortable around men. She sees them in a particular way that you might not call very positive. When you read the manga and stuff, you see that Ray's father, you know, he was a big CEO type guy and he, uh, he left her at the shrine with her grandfather so that he could chase his career. And so she, she just has this, um, this sad kind of view of men and uh, she kind of falls in love with the wrong ones sometimes. And other times she falls in love with the right one, but can't see it. <laughs> she also loves her grandpa, who was a very cute little old guy. He was very adorable. Um, I would hate Sailor Mars. As a kid, I did. I thought she was a total asshole. She was kind of mean to Usagi. But, you know, she always came through in the end, and she always had a good thing to say about Usagi or Sailor Moon when it really came down to what matter. So that's important. Uh, Makoto, Sailor Jupiter, like I said, she's larger, she's taller, she's physically stronger than most other girls. And when Usagi sees her, she just thinks she's the most beautiful person she's ever seen. She's sparkling, she's got these beautiful little pink rose earrings, you know, she's wearing earth tones, and she's beating the shit out of some boys. <laughs> and Usagi just sees her as the most beautiful woman. She's sparkling, she's like, like, what an impressive, <laughs> what an impressive and intimidating, but like wonderful person. And uh, Makoto, of course, ends up being like super domestic. And Usagi's just totally floored by her cooking skills and her domestic skills, like right along with her physical strength. It's very interesting. Then we have Minako, who is Sailor Venus. Oh boy, is she interesting. She wants to be an idol, which in Japan you could say is um, like anything from modeling to acting to music they're like an influencer so she wants to be famous uh her whole thing is about being admired and loved and beautiful which is totally great and usagi never sees her or this part of her as shallow or vain and the two of them really have a lot of fun together trying to be models or fit in a charm school or whatever Charm school was especially interesting because, again, you have these moments where people are questioning if they're, you know, if they're as girly or as feminine as the other girls there. It comes up a lot. <laughs> it comes up a lot. Um, because she is so accepting and so willing to love people, not in spite of their differences, but because of them, she is really the glue that holds these girls together. And you can see them all kind of relax when they're with her because they can drop the walls that they use to hide some of those things. Um, Ami, Mercury, she doesn't feel like an outcast. <laughs> uh, she doesn't feel like an outcast when she's with Usagi and the girls. And she even eventually gets a little bit comfortable with a bit of romance. She's um, 
I don't want to say she's she's asexual, but she's a character that does not express a lot of sexuality or sexual attraction. Attraction. She doesn't have a lot of romantic storylines, but you see her open up and able to think about it and talk about it and, and consider it when she's with her friends. Uh, Ray, oh my goodness. People are absolutely terrified of Ray. <laughs> she is she is really really beautiful and she's very she's a she's a priestess at this shrine so she's very powerful. She has kind of a resting bitch face. Um, and she really has to be the the stable person at the shrine because her grandfather is just this really cute funny old guy. But when she's she's around her friends, Ray gets a lot softer. And she starts to understand feelings a lot more, especially the feelings of other women. She learns a lot. She's still got her personality, but underneath you can see that she has changed quite a bit because of their relationship. Makoto happily embraces her love of domesticity, and it's always cooking and hosting her friends and tidying and... You know, she never has to worry about being girly enough or being too girly. Her physical strength and her traits that are considered more feminine are, they're just as important to who she is and she can be both. Usagi and Minako are, they're really interesting because they, they look alike almost and they grant each other permission to be silly or to be flaky or to be obsessed with cute boys. Um, but they never doubt that the other one is strong. Sailor Moon is the leader. And back in the Silver uh, Millennium there, Minako Sailor Venus was her, you know, her right hand. She was the leader of the scouts while Serenity was a princess. So they are very close characters. They're very similar characters. You know, there's a reason Venus was chosen for that job. So they respect each other's strength and Minako respects Usagi's authority, but, um, they let themselves be comfortable and fun and silly. Really fun. So when it comes to Usagi, she really is the glue that holds these, these girls together. She finds them and tracks them down along with Luna. And they all feel a particular way about her. You know, if you like Sex in the City, she's the Carrie Bradshaw character. <laughs> I don't like Carrie Bradshaw, but she is that character. Uh, and people often wonder why she's, you know, why she's the head of the fucking team. Because she's not the strongest. She's not the smartest. Um, she's not the most stable. She is uh, very emotional and she often gets overwhelmed. She cries a lot. But what she is is the most loving. <laughs> the most loving and compassionate person in the squad. And love is really Usagi's superhero. She is the guardian of love and justice, and that is really what she stands for throughout the entire story. On Saturday, March 5th, the voices behind That Witch Life podcast are hosting the That Witch Life Minicon, a one-day virtual conference on living as a witch in today's world. Join from anywhere for workshops on herbalism, working with the gods, and suburban magic, led by That Witch Life hosts Kanani Soleil, Courtney Weber, and Hilary Whitmore. Stay for a special masterclass on DNA ancestry magic with Stephanie Rose Bird, author of 365 Days of Hoodoo. The minicon will include rituals, raffles, and a lot more. Register at thatwitchlife.com and make sure you check out That Witch Life podcast on your favorite listening platform.
So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, now I've gone back and I've looked at Sailor Moon from fresh eyes, from the eyes of, of a practicing witch. And I see a lot of things where I'm like, that's real witchcraft. That's real witchcraft. That's real paganism. Those are real elements. This is really cool. I've seen a lot of that as I go back. Uh, I also, there was a lot of things that didn't make sense to me in the show based on my knowledge of things like Greco-Roman mythology and um, astrology. And I've since learned that this entire show, you have Japanese characters named after, you know, the Roman named planets. Um, a lot of them exemplify elements that we associate with the Roman um, and Western mythology, though not all of them. And that's because this show was really a big combo of Greco-Roman mythology and also Japanese folktales and Shinto religion. It is woven into every single piece of the show from beginning to end. First, we have the reincarnation. Now, Shinto is not specifically about reincarnation, although that is very popular in, in many parts of Asia. Um, their belief that is kind of uh, comparable is the presence of Kami, which is your spiritual energy. Um, kami in everyone is released and recycled at the time of their death. So the spirits live in another world, um, the most sacred of which is called the other world of heaven. These other worlds are not really seen as paradise or punishment. They're just simply worlds where different spirits reside for all different reasons. They can connect and, and visit the, the living in the present world when people correctly perform rituals and when they have festivals. So Shinto believes that these ancestral spirits will protect their descendants. The prayers and rituals performed by the living honor the dead and memorialize them. In return, the spirits of the dead offer protection and encouraging for the living. Rei, or, or Sailor Mars, was a Shinto shrine maiden, or a priestess. Um, she worked at the shrine. She was, she was a spiritual uh, person within the shrine. You see her uh, using flames for scrying. You know, she loves fire. So she uses it for scrying to get psychic insights. She has two pet ravens named uh, Phobos and Deimos, who are not only two of the moons of Mars, but they were named after two of the sons of Mars in um, Roman mythology. Very fun. And one of the first powers that she uses, and one that she can use in or outside of her, her sailor form, because she is just naturally magical, right? Is this. Ooh. Sorry, I just got a little dizzy there. This is called an Ofura. It's a prayer. Um, raise means spirits, evil spirits disperse or be gone. So what she does is she says a prayer. She calls up fire. She does these, these hand symbols that um, they invoke particular types of energy and power. And she slaps it on their forehead like this, which immobilizes them. It even immobilizes <laughs> Usagi when she first goes to the shrine because Rei gets kind of spooked that there's a strange energy nearby. She's very perceptive and very intuitive. She is our most psychic. Um, she's our most psychic of all of the scouts, which maybe doesn't line up much with our Western uh, mythology 
but it does actually make sense. <laughs> it makes sense within within Shinto, within the um, the elements systems that they have there. So uh, we have two different mythologies that really inspired this this main story of Sailor Moon. First is Selene and Endymion. Selene was a the Greco-Roman goddess of the moon. She wasn't just a moon goddess, she was the personification of the moon. She rode her chariot across the sky and pulled the moon with it to, you know, create the night. <laughs> um, Selene was also famous for something else other than being the moon. Uh, she had a love affair with the mortal man Endymion. And this story is convoluted and problematic <laughs> uh, in Greek mythology. And in Sailor Moon, it got just a little bit of an update. Um, and instead of it being an incredibly unhealthy attachment and relationship and, and ending, what you have is these two people who, they love each other, even if they don't understand why, and they're incredibly different people. And they both just have to learn to love the other person, again, not in spite of who they are, but because of who they are. So in Sailor Moon, the Earth Prince that was in love with Princess Serenity was named Endymion. And he was reborn as um, Mamoru, Tuxedo Mask, as her love in, in this 20th century time. Another well of inspiration for Sailor Moon um, comes from a classic Japanese folktale. Of course, we have this combination. Uh, and it's called The Tale of the Bamboo Cutter. Uh, and actually, you can find it. Studio Ghibli, in 2013, used it as the basis for their film, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, which I also recommend. It's very great. So it tells of a rural bamboo cutter who stumbles upon an infant the size of a thumb in a stalk of bamboo. Having no children of their own, the bamboo cutter and his wife decide to raise the mysterious infant as their own. As she grows, she attains, a, she attains incredible beauty and becomes known throughout the land for it despite the bamboo cutter's insistence on keeping her hidden. Over time, the girl is approached by many, many suitors who will do anything for her hand in marriage, but she's unwilling. She's not interested. Eventually, she reveals her true identity to her parents. She is not from Earth at all, but rather the moon. <laughs> and there are different versions of why she was sent to Earth. Some say it was a punishment of some kind, so she was sent to Earth to you know, form material attachments only to have them stripped away from her. Other versions say she was sent there for protection during a celestial war, like Sailor Moon. Uh, and in either case, she eventually returns to the moon, much to the sadness of the human parents who raised her. Now, we don't see... Cool. We don't see Usagi ever go and live on the moon. That doesn't happen. But Usagi, of course, she's a real girl. She has a real family, real Earth people. She has a, an earth life. Um, and there's constantly this battle where she has to balance being this moon princess and this superhero with this earthly life, knowing that she's so different, that she wasn't really made to be here. <laughs> um, and she's very attached to human friends, to her family, to, to everything. So you really get that kind of tug of war. So we have this combination of a Japanese and a Greco-Roman uh, folktale or myth that combine to kind of give us the inspiration for the story. 
Then when we have our individual Sailor Scouts, you see even more of this combination coming together. So Usagi, her name, it means rabbit, not a super popular name in Japan. Her name is Usagi Tsukino or Tsukino Usagi, um, which means moon rabbit. <laughs> uh, in Japan, they don't have the man in the moon. The, you know, the, the symbols that they see in the moon from the craters and, and etc., are seen as a rabbit who is uh, working with a mortar and pestle and is creating the elixir of life for the moon goddess. So Sailor Moon is our moon rabbit. <laughs> uh, super, super cute. So she is our moon rabbit. You have this, this really cool, um, just throwback to Japanese mythology that maybe Westerners wouldn't quite understand. Her nickname um, is Bunny to her friends and rabbit to people that are not her friends. <laughs> um, if you were looking for an element that might be exemplified by Sailor Moon, uh, first of all, you, you kind of have all of them. You know, she's all the primary colors. She is the moon. She is emotion. She is intuition. But she's also strength and power. And at a certain point, she has wings, like, like angel-type wings, uh, which leads me to believe that her element would be wind there are there are different elements so the the four or five that we know of that um earth air fire water and spirit those are those are our western elements with the four really being the most ancient but in in japan there are two different systems of elements one is the godai which is earth water fire wind and void which is your your spirit in feng shui in traditional chinese medicine you have the Chinese elements or the five phases. So the five phases are fire, water, wood, metal or gold, um, and earth or soil. So what you see <laughs> is Western, Chinese, and Japanese elements all coming together um, in the Sailor Scouts powers. And in some of them, they really line up with our Western elements, but not in all of them which I'm gonna to get to in just a second. So, Usagi's, um, Usagi's element represent, is wind, I believe. And this represents things that grow, expand, and enjoy freedom. It represents uh, breathing, being open-minded, um, will, willpower, um, and it's a very emotional element. Um, air or wind is also the, uh, element associated with the heart chakra. So that really fits in with who with who she is. In Western elements, the moon is associated with water. Not wrong, right? Usagi was born in cancer season, <laughs> which is the zodiac sign ruled by the moon, and it is the element of water. So again, you have this, this combination of the two. Sailor Mercury is the one that, that was always a little bit confusing to me. Mercury, in our Western point of view, is a air element, planet, and, and God, and all of that, right? And that's because Mercury, the Roman god, he flew through the air, he had winged shoes, things like that. He was also all about communication. Sailor Mercury, instead, is water. She's very water-based. And the reason for that is that in Japan, the name that they have for Mercury, which I cannot pronounce, I'm so sorry, 
is basically water planet or water star. It is a watery planet in Japanese uh, belief and culture. So that is, that is where you get the water element from. But you also have Ami who is interested in communication technology. Technology in general, but communication technology especially, you see her use very frequently. She is very intellectual. She's got a really cool and creative mind, even if it's not necessarily artistic. Uh, she also has magical powers that center her around fog and mist, which of course confuses and disorients her opponents, which really fits with Mercury being that trickster god. <laughs> Sailor Venus's powers often involve love and beauty, as well as heart shapes. <laughs> so that really harkens back to Aphrodite, Venus, the goddess of love and beauty, and our, our modern associations with Venus. But Venus does not wear clothes we might associate with Venus in our viewpoint. They're not pink. <laughs> They're also not watery in any way, which again, Venus is a very watery planet. She wears bright orange and yellow and a dark blue. She has all these, these really warm colors. In Japan, the planet name for Venus is metal or gold star or planet. Uh, gold and, and copper are kind of Venusian metals. Uh, and Venus, uh, copper is a Venusian metal here. So there is that, you know, gold is also gold, copper, symbols of, of beauty, of love, of value, and of um, importance. It, it really ties into her her role as the head of the, the Sailor Scouts. Also, what I think is really interesting is that goldy, yellow, and orange is the actual color of the planet Venus. <laughs> like, she really, when she uses her powers and stuff, like a Venus love chain that's made of gold, um, she looks like the planet Venus. That's her color scheme. I thought that was really interesting. They all don't dress specifically like their planet, although Ray does definitely wear a lot of red, and um, Jupiter does wear a lot of brown, but Venus, I think, is... is one of the most obvious here. So Sailor Mars, you know, fire and banishing are her powers. She has the ravens, Phobos and Deimos. Um, and the name for the planet Mars is uh, the fire star or planet. Sailor Jupiter uses thunder and lightning, which connects to her, her Roman counterpart, Jupiter, uh, who was the god of thunder and lightning. Her element here is not earth like we associate with Jupiter although I, that's kind of weird with thunder and lightning but I guess it was because he was the king right uh, but her um, associated element is tree or wood and the name for um, for Jupiter in Japanese is tree or wood planet wood attributes are considered to be strength and flexibility which you definitely see in Sailor Jupiter uh, it's associated with qualities of warmth and generosity and cooperation and idealism, which also fit with Jupiter's entire kind of vibe. Um, a wood person is outgoing, socially conscious, and strong. They're constantly looking for ways to grow and expand. And wood heralds the beginning of life. <laughs> the beginning of life. That really all just, just fits in with, with what Jupiter is all about. Super cool. Sailor Saturn is the Sailor Scout of Destruction. 
spooky. She's very scary. She's our, our scariest Sailor Scout. She's associated with black and purple, which are um, colors that we use in the Western system to represent Saturn. But who she is really ties back to these, this Greco-Roman mythology. Saturn was Saturn was one of um, Uranus's children. <laughs> Saturn was one of Uranus's children, and Uranus or Kronos was uh, was famous for being afraid of his children. He was afraid that one of his children would rise up and eat him. Now Jupiter was the one who did that. <laughs> In the Roman legend, you know, uh, Uranus is a very, or Saturn is a very um, kind of fearsome god. He is the god of time. Lots of time, darkness, boundaries, limitations, all of those kinds of things. Now, Sailor Saturn is not about time. We're going to discuss that a little bit. Uh, Sailor Saturn is not all about time in this one. But there is, there is a timing to her entire story. Uh, where she's younger than the other scouts, she she has a shorter lifespan. She takes longer to wake up, and then she <laughs> devours the planet, or, or you know, sends it into darkness. The name for Saturn in Japan is Earth Star. No one really knows why. I couldn't find a, a specific single reason. Um, but interestingly, uh, in our Western mythology. Saturn is the planet that rules Capricorn, which is an Earth sign. So Saturn is very much an, an Earth planet, um, though I, I often consider it maybe... Saturn is the stars in the cosmos as you can see them from Earth with me. You know, star magic, that is Earth magic because you're doing it from Earth and stars are a part of our nature. So that's how I often think of Saturn is this combination of Earth energy and, and kind of spiritual energy. Sailor Uranus, our beautiful, um, sexy, androgynous uh, Sailor Scout, her powers are things like ground shaking and earthquakes. Like in Roman times, Uranus is, uh, its name is, in Japan, is the ruler of the skies. Uranus was the god of the sky. But Sailor Uranus uses a lot of wind and sky attacks. That's what shakes up the earth. That's what, you know, causes the earthquakes is the wind. And she pulls energy down from the sky and pounds it into the earth to, to do her, her attacking. Sailor Neptune's water powers are very clear. Neptune, Poseidon, the god of the sea. And um, the Japanese name is Ocean Star or Planet. Sailor Pluto. Pluto's interesting. Sailor Pluto is the one that gets to be in charge of time. Uh, she is on the very outside of the galaxy, right? She um, she guards the door of time. She has a key that, you know, the key is the time key. She is also a solitary um, scout who doesn't come to Earth. She lives at the time door, which is which is all very dark and spooky. And the Japanese name for Pluto is ruler of the dark, which is, is definitely what Pluto is. Uh, she even kind of has trouble coming out of her shell and things like that, which really fit with the things we know about Pluto from Roman mythology. So that's some of our mythology. Uh, another really interesting thing about Sailor Moon is crystals. There's crystals everywhere. You know, Sailor Moon's power comes from a silver Imperium crystal, which is actually 
it's something that lives inside of Sailor Moon, as it did with her mother, her entire family line. The Silver Crystal is really a part of them. They are its host. Tokyo, you know, a couple thousand years in the future becomes Crystal Tokyo, and it's this beautiful crystalline city. And then you also have a lot of crystal names being used for characters. So Queen Beryl. Beryl is, um, is the mineral. Aquamarine is a form of Beryl. Jadeite, Nephrite, Zoisite. Um, in the English dub, Malachite as well. These are bad guys that work with Queen Beryl. Um, some of the later villains, we have Prince Diamondo or Diamond. He's Diamond. Uh, with Sapphire, Sapphire. Uh, Esmerode, which is Esmeral. Rubius. That's what you get. You get these wonderful crystal names. Um, and it goes on and on this way. Crystals are uh, kind of an important part of the series. And part of that is because uh, the creator of Sailor Moon, Naoko Takuchi, she went to school uh, to study chemistry and, and also geology. She got really interested in geology when she was there. She had also been the head of the astronomy club at her former school. So you really see, <laughs> you really see where her interest in this, this kind of um, character might come from. If you want to work Sailor Moon into your kind of modern practice, crystals are a great place to start. Astrology is a great place to start. Um, working with the elements, not just our common Western elements that, you know, a lot of us are familiar with, but also the, the Godai versions from Japan, um, where you have wind rather than fire and void uh, as aether or spirit, as well as the, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I can just tell, the Wuxing uh, elemental system from China, which includes uh, wood and metal, which are important elements here. So those are the ways that you can kind of work that into your uh, practice. Crystals are a great way to, to really incorporate this kind of energy because there are so many different crystals that are, are mentioned in the, in the show and in the manga. Not all of them are things that are easy for people to get a hold of or that are safe to work with, but things like um, tiger's eye, emerald, sapphire, uh, garnet is a, is a crystal very much associated with Sailor Pluto. Uh, the jadeite, nephrite, nephrite jade, that's pretty fun. Zoisite, malachite, kunzite, beryl. All of these can be used in your magic, of course. But crystals, in general, play a very large part in the story. Every person, every single one of these these spacey heroes and villains and things, they have a they have what's called a star seed crystal inside them. It, it's a crystal that powers them, that um, transfers their, their kami, their spirit, to this new reincarnation. Um, and they use them a lot as weapons and as symbols of power. The biggest, most important one in the whole show is called the silver crystal, the silver moon crystal, the silver imperium crystal. There's a million names for it, but it's the silver crystal. It never says exactly what type of crystal it is. Of course it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so this is something that I have kind of um, done some re research on and um, you know, I've looked at different types of crystals and I've narrowed down a few that you could use as the silver crystal if you want to. 
First, the silver crystal looks like just a little crystal, uh, but when it opens up, it is a lotus flower. You can find crystals carved into lotus flowers like that. You can also find glass. They're like candle holders that are the shape of a lotus, and you can put your crystal inside. It looks beautiful. I found pictures online. I think the best one to um, use in this manner is angel aura quartz. Uh, angel aura quartz is quartz that has been, you know, molecularly bonded with silver and platinum. It is a stone that so mimics all of the themes in Sailor Moon that it's it's kind of spooky. Um, you wonder if this is, you know, kind of the one she had in mind. Angel aura quartz is used for past life recall, for interdimensional communication, um, for finding your purpose and your higher self, you know, becoming who it is you're supposed to be. And it activates the energy of other crystals for healing work. Sailor Moon, of course, um, and her interior silver crystal activated the energy of the other Sailor Scouts. It stands for things like joy, selflessness, truth, um, empathy, and ancient knowledge. All of these things really, really exemplify what you're going for when it comes to Sailor Moon. Aura crystals can be a little expensive. They might also not be very large. You don't have to get something that looks exactly like the show. Remember, it's it's more of the, the inspiration, the idea. Angel Aura Quartz is a beautiful one to, to carry with you. Um, it can help you communicate uh, psychically or with uh, guardians, um, angels, ghosts, beings, the stars, whatever. It is Angel Aura Quartz after all. Um, and it just really exemplifies who Sailor Moon is and even, you know, the, the element of wind, the, the angel wings and etc. The next one that I, I think would, uh, would be a wonderful stand-in, and I might, oh, I do, I had a small version of it. This is a pophilite. It is, again, a variety of quartz, uh, but it, it naturally has these kind of mirrory bits in it. It's a... Uh, it's a very popular psychic and, and Reiki stone, as again, it is all about finding the higher self, um, interdimensional communication, spiritual awakening, enlightenment, intuition, um, inspiration, and again, you have this, this wisdom vibe to it. You can get much larger pieces. I, I do have a cluster somewhere. Um, again, you can get much larger pieces of this. It's a beautiful stone to work with in general. It's great for cleansing your aura, cleansing your space, like just the room that it's in. It rarely needs a lot of cleansing itself, and it's one that can help you connect uh, psychically and spiritually. I also find it really good when I'm studying magical concepts. It's one that I like to have nearby. My, my other piece, it, it really just fit in the palm of my hand very well, which is why I, I bought it. Um, and when I'm trying to learn something new that's magical, I'll often hold on to it because I feel like it opens my, my crown chakra and my, my third eye here and just allows me to take in that information. Puffly. So those are our two that I, I think would be our silver crystal. But you can use crystals in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways, right? There's a million ways to use crystals. And there's also some other ones that definitely fit the vibe and the magic of Sailor Moon and the Sailor Scouts. So, other crystals that are very, very Sailor Moon in nature. Of course, Moonstone, 
Moonstone is very Sailor Moon in nature. Of course it is. Uh, and again, Moonstone is very intuitive. It's empathetic. It's emotional. And it's also very powerful, just like the moon. Moonstone is kind of an obvious one. Another is Rose Quartz. Again, a little bit obvious, but as the guardian of love and justice, um, and as a very empathetic character who's, who's all about compassion, Rose Quartz is, is really a great symbol for Usagi. Rose Quartz is a, is a really good uh, stone for other cancers, for people working with the cancer zodiac sign or who have it in their chart. Rose Quartz is, is a really wonderful, fantastic stone for that. It does have a water element vibe to it. That's not a bad thing. Um, combine it with your angel aura. <laughs> for Mercury, I went with a lot of different ones for Mercury. So some really great was Aquamarine. Mercury has a, a power, it's Shine Aqua Illusion. Aquamarine is a really beautiful, watery, but also uh, kind of airy type vibe. It's very clear, it's very clarifying, it's very um, emotional, but it's also very stabilizing. Uh, Aquamarine and Blue Barrel are both that way. They're emotionally stabilizing. You could also do things like Blue Calcite, um, Chrysocola, Blue Lace Agate, um, Blue Kyanite. You can use any of these. But one that I thought was super, super interesting. This is, well, depending on what you call it, it's an amylite or an ammonite. And, and what this is, is a fossilized uh, ancient cephalopod sea creature. And if you were to slice this in half, the inside would be all gemstone. Um, as it is, you can see a little bit through here. You can find ones that are already cut in half and they're absolutely incredible. This is one that I think works more with who Mercury is in the show. Um, it does have, of course, the water element to it. It was, a, it was a creature who lived in the water back when everything was water, right? So it does ha definitely have this uh, water vibe to it, but it's also very earthy in nature as it's, it's fossilized, it's ancient, it's crystallized. All of that is very earthy. This is a really, really strong stone connected to past lives, to truth, to protection, to um, inner vision, being able to see things uh, that aren't there or that maybe other people can't see. Longevity, ancient knowledge, spiritual awakening. Um, and it's also great for grief and mourning. And Ami is, Mercury is a, is a bit of a sad kind of person. She's not sad sad but she's she's a bit of a sad person she's very reserved um her mother is a powerful you know fancy doctor and all Ami really does is study so she can become a doctor too there's not there's not a lot of emotional connection there so i think this is is a great crystal to work with if you're trying to kind of uh bring in that energy there it also um in math the fibonacci sequence right and the shape of this spiral here is a big deal and Ami loves herself some math and some technology and communication so wonderful Ray is Mars Mars of course you want a fiery or red stone like a carnelian you could also use like a red jasper or, or something like that ruby is very nice and fiery if you um, if you happen to have some Garnet would work, but we're going to save that for Sailor Pluto because that is her crystal. Like she literally wears it and it's in her time staff. So Garnet, we're going to say, is, is belongs to her. 
<laughs> Carnelian is, is a perfect stone for Mars. It's creative. It's um, upbeat. It's energetic. It's very protective. It clears uh, negative energy, evil spirits, all of that kind of stuff. It's a real jack-of-all-trades when it comes to magic that you want to, um, to have kind of a, a fiery a fiery uh, energy to it. Um, it's associated with Mars and the sun. If you get lighter pieces, it's the sun. So it is a Mars crystal already. And uh, in addition to those other things, you know, it's strength, courage, power, and grounding. It grounds you. Ray is a very grounding person. Um, she is both a priestess and an incredibly logical person. She's very down to earth, <laughs> even being very magical. So Carnelian is a, is a really great stone to represent her. Jupiter, I had some fun with this. You could, of course, use a green stone, just like uh, just like you would with her. A green, very earthy stone, um, something that is very open and welcoming, but also very strong. You know, something very strong. So the first one I thought of was this uh, ruby and fuchsite. This is one that is earthy and also a little bit fiery. It is heart opening. It allows you to bring in some love, to accept love, uh, and to be who it is you're supposed to be. All great. But the one I actually really went with is sodalite. Oh, it's so lightning-y. Sodalite is incredibly lightning um, themed in my practice. <laughs> like, I cannot, I cannot ignore the lightning powder or the lightning pattern all over it. Uh, this is a crystal that's associated with a bunch of different planets and elements and things. You know, for some it's water, for some it's air, you know, it's it's Mercury, it's it's Saturn, it's Jupiter, it's it's all sorts of things. Um, you know, it's aligned with Sagittarius, Venus, it's kind of all over the place. But all of those things really fit in with who Jupiter was as a person. It's a stone that is great for self-discipline, for getting things done. Uh, some people use it for calming down, but I, I don't necessarily think it's a calming stone. I think it's a very um, grounding stone that's like, okay, you're going to get down to business here. You are going to pay attention. Strength and courage, uh, clairvoyance, reaching your higher self, something a lot of these crystals have in common. Interdimensional communication. Uh, intention enhancement so it powers your spells and um, of course the power of lightning which is very creative and, and quick strong powerful scary beautiful it's all those wonderful things so that's Jupiter Venus you can use anything for Venus any sort of Venus crystal is totally great even you know a, a rose quartz or what have you but I wanted to stick with her um, with, with her kind of Japanese vibe. You know, she looks a lot like the planet Venus. She's got lots of oranges and, and yellows and everything like that. And her element is metal. So you could, of course, use actual gold. That is totally okay. What I have instead is this nugget of real copper. You know, it looks almost like a fish, right? <laughs> That's why I got it. I'm like, oh, this is perfect for Venus. So I got my little fish of copper. 
Copper is a love metal. It's all about love um, and beauty. It's, a, it's very Venusian in general. But it's also, again, alignment with the higher self, uh, channeling and grounding um, magical energy, uh, communication with higher realms and interdimensional communication, as well as self-discipline, which Venus needs a little bit of because she has a tendency to flake out. Um, and it's also really good for, for cleansing. Venus is the last one to show up and she really helps absolutely eliminate a lot of these monsters. She has a very cleansing presence. Uh, she also has a very kind of gathering and, and grounding type presence. So it's no surprise that copper is associated with both the, the heart chakra and the root chakra. It gets both her, her love and beauty vibe and her, um, her stabilizing, her stabilizing energy for the group all in one. Saturn. A lot of people say amethyst. It's great. Amethyst is a really, really good one for Saturn energy. Um, especially when you think of it as a stone that helps you kick habits. Amethyst is a stone that helps you kick habits or, or addictions, uh, depending on who you talk to. But you also have things like lapis lazuli, uh, lava rock. I think of galaxyite and lots of really dark blue purple black type stones to be very saturn in nature like obsidian onyx jet those kinds of things black kyanite's really cool black kyanite would be great for saturn because it's, it's got a spiky appearance <laughs> but it's a beautiful stone uranus you want something that is a little bit earthy it's a little bit sky and it's very badass and strong and for that, I recommend Moldavite. I know, Moldavite. <laughs> but hopefully a lot of you have it now. Uh, Moldavite is a great one for Uranus. It's all about shaking shit up. It is all about shaking things up, about change, about bringing um, earth or, or space energy, or sky or space energy down to earth as it's, it's, a, it's a crystal, it's a glass that is formed when um, you know, a meteor makes contact with the earth. So that, that is the stone I would most use with, um, with Uranus. Neptune, you got to go for the cool stuff like Aquamarine and Larimar, which are all about the ocean. They all have these oceanic vibes. Uh, Larimar, I think, is a little bit um, better for this just because it has a, a much deeper ocean vibe. It's often associated with mermaids. Sailor Neptune's weapon is a mirror. Again, very associated with mermaids and mermaid mythology. So she definitely has this very mermaidy connection. And that, that's what you get with Larimar. It's a very loving, um, inspirational kind of stone. It really connects you to the water element, to anything to do with water or the ocean, and mermaids. So it's definitely got the same kind of um, beauty that you saw. It's also a throat chakra one, so it's music. Music is a big thing for Sailor Neptune. And Larimar is very good for anything with music. And then with Pluto, we have Garnet. Garnet is, is a stone that is on Sailor Pluto's um, time key. And it's also on her uniform. It's her little brooch. So instead of this pentacle, which of course you can use as a total fucking legit pentacle. <laughs> um, it is her version of that. So she has this, this garnet orb that sits atop her, her time key. Um, and it's an essential component of the, the key. 
It's immensely powerful. And it's used for an attack called Dead Scream, which was... I mean, that's fucking crazy, right? Dead Scream. That is such a spooky, spooky, spooky kind of thing. Garnet is a really, really interesting stone. Garnet is a beautiful red stone, right? It can stand in for ruby. It can be for love and, and sexuality and everything like that. But Garnet has these these much these much deeper meanings. And there is a connection with loneliness and with death with Garnet. And that is that Garnet is a stone which, according to Judy Hall in the Crystal Bible, is one that can strengthen your will to live or your connection to life. It helps ease some of the loneliness that often leads people to being very depressed. It can help ease some of that. Uh, it's also a very strengthening crystal. It strengthens your root chakra, which again is your survival instinct, your will to live. It um, energizes you. It's, it's physically energizing as well, which is a big problem when you're super, super depressed. But it's also a stone of manifestation. It's very, very powerful for manifestation, for attraction, for, you know, attracting love, attracting um, power, attracting prosperity, all of that kind of stuff. It's also a very nourishing and rejuvenating stone. And um, Pl uh, Pluto does use the garnet orb to kind of summon Sailor Saturn, who is our, who is actually the, the last and scariest, <laughs> the last and scariest um, of all the Sailor Scouts. She uses the garnet uh, orb and rod to raise that, um, that character. She's also kind of a lonely person. You know, she has spent her entire existence, thousands of years, in complete solitude in the dark. She, you don't see her in a lot of romantic situations, although in the new one, it does seem like she's in a, a romantic uh, thruple <laughs> with Neptune and Uranus and they're raising baby Saturn. Very cute vibe. I dig that. So it is a stone that's very good for people who are lonely, who are isolated, who are afraid, who um, feel a connection to death and the underworld, even if they don't want it. <laughs> even if they don't want it. Uh, so Garnet is for her. So as you can see by my extremely long conversation with y'all. Sailor Moon has a lot of tiebacks to real magic, to witchcraft. You know, it, it inspired me to research more about astrology. Um, crystals are huge in the universe. They are the ultimate power source. Every person has a beautiful crystal star seed inside them um, that's just waiting to be activated and, and used and empowered. And then you have the the elemental the elemental combinations finally what you get that's most important from sailor moon that you can use in your spiritual practice or just your life is the power of love and justice compassion empathy um love unconditional you know love and devotion uh and and a willingness to help other people you know that's really what drives sailor moon and everyone else is that they want to help people they fight these monsters because they're attacking regular people they're sapping their energy or stealing their star seeds and that's just not okay so they're there to save others and that is something that you can use in your witchcraft of course it can be something very empowering something that is focused on justice something that is focused on empathy and compassion and helping others 
Um, and of course, there's also an element of exploring your gender, your sexuality, your feelings of attraction, uh, how you feel about love and relationships, all of that. These are all really important things that a lot of which is due to to kind of align themselves with magical values, with magical energy. So those are some of the more important lessons that you can take from Sailor Moon. It's not just all crystals and waving wands uh, and cute little kitty friends. There's, a, there's also a, a very deep um, meaning there that women and girls, even young teenage girls who are silly and flaky are powerful and strong. And the, the reason they are powerful and strong is not because they hide their sensitivity or their femininity. It's because they are powerful and strong and you can be both. You can be a woman, you can be strong. You can be a flaky teenage girl and save the world. And that is really the main message that everyone should take from Sailor Moon. And if you ever say Sailor Moon wasn't about, you know, femininity or womanhood or girls, you know, whatever, tell them to shut the fuck up because <laughs> I've seen it a lot lately uh, because it's just, it's just absolutely not true. The theme of exploring who you are as a, as a girl or a woman and um, claiming your power through those, those archetypes is, is a huge, huge thing throughout the series. So it's for all of these reasons that I firmly believe that Sailor Moon was a witch. She definitely counts as a witch. <laughs> Maybe that's not the word she used. Maybe instead of calling yourself a witch, you want to be a magical girl. But when you get right down to it, um, her values, her powers, her personality, everything about Sailor Moon was witchy in nature and can be a source of inspiration and empowerment to witches. This is actually a sticker that I sell in my tea public store. Uh, again, I'll, I'll share all the links on my website when I, you know, post the replay and everything like that. Sailor Moon was a witch. <laughs> witch is just not a super common uh, positive term in other parts of the world. Being a witch in many parts of the world that aren't here or like England. Uh, that's a very derogatory term and people don't want to be called that. So I get it. But a witch by any other name is still a fucking witch. <laughs> So that is what I have for you guys today. That is the whole spiel on, on Sailor Moon, on the Sailor Scouts, on Sailor Planetary Magic. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this was fun. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast and the live event if you were there. Of course, a very special, heartfelt thanks goes out to everyone who donated to or shared the fundraising links for my cat, Allie. After a very scary beginning to 2022, seeing her happy little face all healed up has really done me some good. It's, it's gotten me in better spirits, even though it's raining and cold <laughs> and very, very wintry here today. Next Saturday, March 5th, I will be at the Minicon hosted by That Witch Life. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for the presentations. Uh, and of course, just to hang out with other witches for the day. Their special guest, Stephanie Rose Bird, is like a celebrity to me. <laughs> I love her books. Uh, Stick Stones, Roots and Bones is one of my most used resources. Like it's one of those books that I pull off the shelf really frequently, especially for magic around the home. I just, I loved her approach to it. So it's full of real 
practical magic stuff that you can do. And it also taught me a lot about African traditional magic and hoodoo at a time when those books were, you know, it was still very hit and miss finding books that were written by authors who were taking it seriously or who were protect or who were practitioners themselves. So check that out if that is something you are interested in. And I hope to see some of you witches at the mini con on Saturday, March 5th. Until then, have a wonderful weekend, the fattest Fat Tuesday, and a beautiful start to March, which means it is the countdown to springtime. God, I cannot wait. If you like The Fat Feminist Witch and want more, check out my books, Green Witchcraft, The Grimoire Journal, and Witchcraft for Emotional Wisdom, our secular guides to witchcraft that can fit into anyone's magical practice. The topic of today's show may have been literally Sailor Moon, but the theme is certainly that there is strength in being an emotional person or even a crybaby. If that spoke to you, check out my newest title, Witchcraft for Emotional Wisdom, which is centered around honoring your feelings, healing your heart, and finding strength in your vulnerability through magic. You can find links to buy all of my books on my website at thefatfeministwitch.com slash pagevanderbeck. You can always find me at thefatfeministwitch.com, also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. For those who are interested in supporting the show, I have three wonderful ways you can do that. First is to check out my Tee Public store where you can get t-shirts up to size 5X, tote bags, stickers, hoodies, journals, whole lot more. Swag features logos from the show and other Fat Feminist Witch themed artwork. Or if you really want to get some fun extras and advanced book details, visit patreon.com slash thefatfeministwitch and sign up at the $10 level to join the book club and connect with like-minded witches through live virtual meetups, discussions, and some magical memes (laughs) in our private group. Of course, you can always find me right here on the Fat Feminist Witch podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. 